Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. Twenty years connecting the UK. Hi everyone, welcome to series three of Women Tech Charge. My name is Amory Mathedon, I'm your host. And today we have Debbie Besrick joining me. She is video guide pioneer, CEO of Team 17 and champion of indie game developers. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Oh, thank you. What a lovely intro. Thank you. It's all true. So it's as lovely as life is, I guess, for, for you. So you are a gamer. Is it It's fair to say you are a gamer? You're not just a creator of games, right? You enjoy the games? Absolutely. I started playing video games when I was seven. What was it that you loved about games from seven? What, what was the first game, actually, do you remember? It wasn't actually a video game. It was, can you remember the... Um, Pac-Man, the little yellow yeah, Pac-Man. Yeah, yeah. The yellow guy that eats the food, yeah. I was at a friend's house and they had, um, I didn't have many things. I, you know, I grew up on a council estate and so money was really tight. So we didn't have all the toys. And they had this little arcade toy. And uh, I basically ignored everybody for about four hours, sat there playing <laughs> it. And absolutely loved it. And I think that really sparked the interest. But I think where I really fell in love with video games was when I was 12. I have an older brother and he had a Spectrum home computer. And it was uh, a 48K Spectrum. I used to save my pocket money. I'd buy the magazines. We'd type the codes in, you know, in the game because that's that's what you did with video games back then. And that was the point where I thought... I knew it was something that was going to be a part of my life and it was something I wanted to be involved in. And the only way I looked at it was almost like, you know, like when you watch a movie, you escape from life. You know, when you read a book, you want to go off into a different experience. Video games was exactly that for me. It was a way just escaping from just life in general. You went into it in the same way that you do a movie or a book. And it was a form of entertainment that hadn't really taken off yet. It was really new. And for me, I, you know, I'd love to say I was really bright at 12. I wasn't, honestly. It was more to do with the fact that I think I connected it with a new form of media where I could see myself spending time with that as I was getting, as I grew up. But it was something that other people needed to be part of. And you could see how it could develop 
as you were looking ahead into the future. And it was really, I could say, I don't know, I knew it was a part of something that I needed to be part of. A little birdie tells me that you you didn't do, you didn't finish your exams. Mm -hmm. GCSEs or A-levels? Which ones did you you stop at? A-levels. Right, so you didn't do your A-levels. And which which subjects did you choose? Or did you not choose them at all? No, I chose, bizarrely, I felt like um, I was a person that never really loved school. You know, I wanted to play games, etc. I think it was around 14, you know, I kind of started to mature. Um, started to take it a little bit more serious. So I did my GCSEs and then I went to do sixth form. Um, I did the first year, right. And the subjects that I did, no surprise, business studies, computer technology. I knew I wanted to work in video games and I need, and I knew that I needed to understand more about business. So they were my two priority subjects, but correct. Um, I did leave halfway through. I never finished. And the reason why it was the summer, summer holidays. And what do you need as a student? You need a job. You've got no money. You need to earn some money. And there were two jobs in Nottingham that I could apply for. One was in a video game store and one was in a fruit and vegetable shop. Thank God for me, I got the video games. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank God I got the video games job, right? It was supposed to be a summer job and I never went back. And that was in retail, right? That's where it started. But you ended up actually you know, being in charge of this shop, of this store, like being the, mm-hmm. the store manager, the store owner as well. Eventually. Yeah, I was the store ma- Yeah, I was the, um, I went for the summer job and I was due to go back to school in the September to do my second year. And it, they offered me the manager's job and I was like, I'm taking it, right? I'm, a, I want the money, B, I love, I mean, oh, it's a step on the journey to where I want to go. And so I did that. And then within 12 months, um, I flipped the business for them and sold it to a bigger chain. So how old were you when you were managing, when you first got the manager job? Just be, um, just under 17. Were you managing other people? You were managing the store? You were managing the stock? Everything. So how do you end up selling it? Was that something you kind of were like, well, I mean, I heard about it in business studies once. I'm going to give this a go. Or how does that, because that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that just happens to a 17-year-old. No, but I guess I'm not a normal 17-year-old. You know, I was reading things like Sir James Goldsmith's biography, Richard Branson's biography, anything that I could lay my hands on, I was reading um, and I was learning all the time, you know, and I still learn today. I say that. So um, I was doing that. But what was obvious for me was they were obvious owners. They wanted to get out and they wanted to sell the business. So then it's how do we sell the business? So you know, they were very much in business software, less gaming software. So I completely converted the store around into a gaming store, improved turnover, improved profitability and found them a buyer. You're bright enough to know that games was it. Games was where it was going to be and worms. This is the kind of what you're one of the things you're most well known for. For anyone listening, what, what is worms? Worms basically, um, how do I put it? It's an artillery turn based game. Um, but with comic, um, with a lot of comic sides to it. Um, but it's really last man standing. It's who is the last person standing. That's the best way to explain it. How does one come up with the last man standing game called Worms? So when I was 20, um, three of us started Team 17. 
which is the company that you know today. I came from a commercial background, which they were calling video games, which was very much the commercial side, retail, direct consumer. Martin, who was one of the other co-founders, came from a talent background in terms of development talent. And then we had the obvious money person as well. And we started the company just before I was 20. But what we were doing, what we did prior to ARMS, we were working with talent all around Europe and talent from America. And we were publishing their games. This is what a lot of people don't realize. Uh, I think between 1990 and 1994, which is prior to WAMS, we launched something like 35 games. All of them were in the top five in the charts. Huge success. But working with companies um, such as Epic, who you know for Fortnite these days, we publish their games over here in Europe, and many other people. So we had some of the brightest talent around the world sending games our way for us to look at. Team 17 had 50, I think just over 50% market share of the Amiga home computer market at that time in the UK. And so anybody who wanted to make Amiga games was bringing them to Team 17. And we were at an event in London um, where this kid, seriously, 17-year-old, rocks up and he goes, I've got a game. I'd like you to have a look at it, you know, and take the disc off him, put it in. And it was quite rough, but it was incredible playable. I mean, visually, it was nothing to look at, but it had some great charm to it. It was really fun. And I always say, you know, the most important thing about games is gameplay. Whatever anybody says to you, gameplay is number one. And this game had this in spades. And so he brought the game across. We had a look at it. It was obvious that it wasn't a commercial release and it needed a lot more things. So we signed the game, we built a team around him, took it up a whole nother level, and we launched the game in 1995, a very different game to what he'd first delivered, but it still had that core hook, you know, and by the hook, I mean that compulsion loop. And Worms was funny because Andy, he made the game on a calculator to play with his friends in sixth form. Not many people know the story. It's 25 years old on November the 17th. So that's reminding you and I both were getting older. <laughs> yeah, very much. Gosh, very much so. <laughs> What's next? Uh, here, here's my crystal ball. This is what uh, I need, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I just think we're going to see a lot more immersive. It's not just what we can see visually, it's what we can feel. PlayStation 5, the DualSense controller. In my game, Overcooked, you can even feel when the food is burning now in the kitchen. You don't have to see it or hear it, you can feel it. And I think there is so much, you know, as the market, the markets are still growing. This is what amazes people. Gaming is still growing. I'm a huge fan of cross-platform play so that you can play from one platform Say, I own a PlayStation, you own an Xbox, let's play the same game. It's irrelevant of what hardware we own. Let's just enjoy the experience. And obviously with streaming as well, there's so much potential coming through. It's exciting. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Are you positive or are you expectant or hopeful or optimistic about what happens next in terms of diversity in gaming? Um, and for me, looking in, my thing is always, you know, there's so much benefits from having people create games, having people play games. How much more of the altruistic side of gaming do you think we're going to end up seeing as the industry kind of grows and, 
and learns and matures? I think first and foremost, diversity is absolutely crucial. Just remember the more diverse your team is, the better the content that you're going to create. You know, whether that's music, TV or games, right? Um, I've been in gaming since mid-80s. So trust me, when I look at today, it's a, a gazillion times better than what it was in the 80s. So I can see the progression. I'm very optimistic. I think a couple of years ago, I was moaning about being the only female CEO in the games industry, which is completely insane, right? I mean, that is just insane. That has massively changed over the last few years. You know, um, we've seen a lot more of that. Also, gaming is almost to the point we have to educate parents as well that gaming is a good industry for their children to come into. You'd be so surprised how many people, certainly from people of color, whose parents are so reluctant for them to come into gaming because they want them to be a lawyer, an accountant, etc. Yeah, and it drives me crazy when it's like this is a good, solid industry. And I think there's some work that we as an industry, and I don't think it's just gaming, I think other industries need to do this too in the creative sector, but getting across the career opportunities so that parents understand this is not just their child sat upstairs in their bedroom playing video games for 12 hours a day. It's a real job and it earns real wages and long-term good growth potential and plenty of entrepreneurs across this sector. So I think there's a part we have an education to do, but honestly, I'm incredibly optimistic. I see so many good female role models across our industry now, which that definitely wasn't the case 10 years ago. And I think you're right. It's it's also the diversity of roles and, and even, I guess, with some parents, it's also this the kind of transferable skills that you have. So even you kind of the things you've learned about business models, about the economics of it, let alone the artistic side of things, let alone even the technical and the physics. And, you know, that's what sometimes I end up talking about, you know, a character flying across those quadratic equations there, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, I think that's really important. And I think you're right. The gaming industry has a lot to kind of open up and show and, and, be proactively open and say, just because you didn't know version one or just because you don't remember the ZX, whatever, doesn't mean that you're not allowed to be in. But we're definitely seeing that more with things like social gaming as well. I think the only other thing I wanted to ask was around this idea of commercial versus indie, which I think we know for films. I think people can kind of tell an indie film versus a commercial film. For games, how do you describe that difference, I guess, between the two? Yeah, I think it's a little bit different from film. Um, Indie in games, um, it's a spirit, right? When people say to me, what does indie mean? It's actually the spirit. This is the spirit. It's you being able to make the choices to create the content that you wish to create. You know, um, that's more about video games. That's what we relate to as indie. Most indie games developers, they want one thing. That's to be sustainable, to be able to make the same, the kinds of games that they wish to make. You do find indie, you get such a wide, vast, diverse portfolio of games that you see, a lot of them that aren't commercial. We don't get too many of that because we actually apply quite a commercial logic to it. Because, you know, what we're looking for is to help nurture talent, help them exit um, the vision for their games. And the reality is make money, right? Because they want to be able to make more games. That's what their passion is. And I was going to say a little bit, maybe even that's where you relate it to film and music. At the end of the day, this is people wanting to live their passions out, right? The only way you can live your passion is by becoming sustainable in one way or another. And one of the big drives that we do is try and help these people become sustainable along their journey. 
so that they, they're able to continue to do what they do best. What are you needing to champion for indie game developers? <laughs> I think everybody everybody says I'm the champion of indie. I think what it is, I am a huge fan of nurturing talent. We have a duty to bring through the next generation. It is our duties as individuals, um, but also to make sure that we bring them through in a healthy, balanced way and ensuring that they are equipped with the right skills and the right people around them to ensure that they can deliver that. And I love the vast portfolio that we have on our label. You know, I've got everything from platform games to family games to various, you know, so many Metro venue games. And I think that's what we need choice in our lives, right? And we need very, a variety of content being created. Life would be very boring if we had the same five, six genres constantly being made. And a lot of innovation comes from the indie sector. It's important when we think where Minecraft came from. That was made by a very small team as an indie and many others work that way. We have to allow innovation to come through. Amazing, amazing. So much more that can be created, so much more for us to explore. Hopefully so much more that we can understand about each other as well through game, which I think is always a cool thing. Um, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave it there, Debbie. This was this was awesome. It was lovely to meet you. Thank you very much. Game on, I guess. Can we say game on? Do we end you can like say that? game on. You can say game on. <laughs> or game over. Podcast <laughs> over. That's it. Game <laughs> over. Thank you very much, Debbie. Thank you. <laughs>